Welcome to our podcast from the Ark Insider, the Africa-focused podcast offering some informal but well-informed Africa-focused conversation, touching on news, current affairs, culture and other ongoing topics of interest. I'm Karen Allen, a former BBC correspondent, and my co-presenter is Tara O'Connor, who heads up Africa Risk Consulting. We both live, breathe and work African affairs, and our podcast seeks to shed light on a continent which continues to fascinate and draw us in. Tara, welcome. Hello, Karen. Nice to speak to you. We've got a great guest later in the podcast with an incredible legacy. She's the granddaughter of the late father of modern Zambia, former President Kenneth Kawanda, a man who will go down in history as one of the great giants of African politics. Now, here's a flavour of what Mandula Kawanda has to say about her late grandfather, who passed away just last year. Another key lesson I learned from him was the ability to let go in 91. He was president. And the joke we had is that Mugabe called me and says, how do you lose an election in your own country as president? You know, But for him, he, he listened to what the people said. Really looking forward to that. First, though, Tara, let's take a look at some of the stories that have made it into the news since our last podcast. The social media platform Twitter is now in the hands of the world's richest person, with questions over whether its new owner will loosen regulations covering hate speech and misinformation. Elon Musk completed the takeover, which is worth more than £38 billion, and swiftly began making changes at the company. There's a new leader inside number 10 Downing Street, as promised. Today, Rishi Sunak officially became Great Britain's Prime Minister for this week. Well, Russia's use of those Iranian-supplied kamikaze drones has marked a significant shift in its brutal assault on Ukraine. CBS's David Martin is at the Pentagon, where he takes a closer look tonight at this deadly and effective weapon. The Ethiopian government and rebels from the northern Tigray province have agreed to a permanent cessation of hostilities. No one knows how many have died, but over two years of brutal war, the number is thought to be in the hundreds of thousands. It also unleashed a major humanitarian crisis. Now, probably the most important event to have taken place since our last podcast, Karen, is the news that China's President Xi Jinping has extended his time in office pretty much indefinitely. But he's also appointed a cabinet of hardliners without a single moderate figure, which means that he's basically taken control of both politics and the economy and the world's second largest economy in the control of one man. And Tara, that's completely spooked the markets, hasn't it? And investors have pulled out record amounts. It matters hugely for Africa because it marks a new inward-looking China and confirms the emerging bipolar world trend that we've talked about a lot on this podcast. Yes, exactly, Karen. And it's particularly significant for South Africa, whose economy is really, really tied to China. China's in three, three big ways. Firstly, mining, you know, Chinese demand, China's economy. If China catches, uh, sneezes, South Africa catches cold. And China's demand for South African minerals really determines the health of, of South Africa's mining sector. Secondly, most consumer goods, especially clothing, carry the Made in China label. So clothing and retail may be affected from a downturn, and particularly those stocks and thirdly, China's uh, South Africa's p- 
publishing giant, Naspers, is one of the main investors in the Chinese local um, social media site, Tencent. And the chaotic retreat of investors from these Chinese stocks, the direct consequence of Xi's appointment of such a hardline cabinet with no moderates in the room and who will all follow his mainly anti-private business lead has been significant. And that has an impact on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, obviously because the two economies are just so interlinked. I mean, I think China's trade with South Africa accounts for 21% of its entire trade across Africa. And Nigeria, of course, its second largest trading partner. And speaking of Nigeria, Tara, you've got a climate story for us. Yes, uh, climate emergency has really hit Nigeria with the floods that have actually seen something like 600, uh, well, um, an estimated 600 people uh, died, um, but 1.4 million people have been displaced uh, from the flood-ridden areas. And there is the beginnings of a big political uh, uh, fight breaking out because of the lack of preparedness and a massive blame game between various ministries and state governors and, and so on about the failure to prepare for climate events, which is going to be another one of the future trends. Preparedness for climate change events is going to be critical, not just for business, but for governments. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Tara. You're listening to The Ark Insider with me, Karen Allen and Tara O'Connor. Now, our guest today is Mandula Kawunda, the granddaughter of the late Zambian independence leader and president Kenneth Kawunda. Described as father of modern Zambia, he led the country to independence in 1964 and continued to lead until 1991. As well as being remembered as one of Africa's greats, a leader with integrity who sought to practice what he preached in terms of rooting out corruption and striving for a more egalitarian Zambia, in his latter years he was very much a peacemaker for many of the conflicts around the continent. Mandola, welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much, ladies. I'm really happy to be here and quite humbled. Well, Thank you for having me. You're speaking to <laughs> us from Nairobi. So you are Zambian, yes, but you're right. speaking to us from Nairobi, where, amongst other yes. things, you work for the Africa Trade and Investment Bank. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. The um, Eastern African Trade and Development Bank. And I, I in my uh, position as the Marketing and Events Officer in the Comms Department. And you're speaking thank to you. my colleague, Tara O'Connor, uh, Tara, very much nice a Zambian uh, in many <laughs> ways, um, who's speaking to us from the UK. Yes, hello. Very pleased to meet you and to share with you that sort of a fabulous experience of growing up in Zambia. I was actually lived just up the road from State House uh, for my formative years, which were extremely happy formative years in a very happy country. So we were actually neighbours. In- we were neighbours in essence. <laughs> Such a nice thought. And it's it's funny because we don't want to be too gushing, but we do have our sheroes, and I think you definitely fit into that into that category. <laughs> I accosted you at a peace conference in yes, Ethiopia yes. a few weeks ago, and said, "Oh my God, I've just heard you speak. Your grandfather I met when I was five years old, um, and when I was with a journalist. Amazing. Yeah, I was with a journalist at the Trooping of the Colour, and he was sitting with the other Commonwealth heads of government. And um, right. and I think it certainly had an impression on me. Again, I certainly got very excited when I saw him again in Kenya." during the peace talks there. Yes. 
with right. his token right. white handkerchief. Um, <laughs> yes. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, but this podcast is not just about our memories. We want to hear much, yeah. much more about your memories and your, and your reflections. Yeah. So I talked about the Tana Peace Conference where I, I accosted you and tried to persuade you to come onto our podcast. <laughs> but you spoke very <laughs> affectionately about um, your grandfather and about growing up. Yeah in State House and actually that it was a real grounding experience that you had. It wasn't this idea of of luxury. Obviously, there is privilege to a certain point, but can you give us a little bit of an insight about that time? Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Um, Karen. I think one thing that people, um, I think, should know as well is that my grandparents uh, brought me up from the age of two months because my father and mom, you know, had to leave for India for my dad was training with the army. And, you know, a lot of people usually think we were spoiled and that, you know, we had these extra privileges, but that was not the case. My grandparents were very humble. And I think that also came from their background where it was important to, for example, respect the cook, you know, respect the waiters, respect the groundspeople. And we were all at par. And um, I do remember cases, you know, as, as children will be, You'll be trying to mock the workers and stuff like that and would get into a lot of trouble with my grandparents. So it was important at that age to learn the, the value of respect. You know, um, he was a humanist, human, humanitarian, if I can put it that way. Um, humanism for him was not just a word. It was a, a lifestyle. So we knew that our workers, for example, the workers that were like brothers and sisters. So it was very, very grounding because these are things that I carry up to now. And you sort of set that in contrast with some of the leaders that we see today. Can you share some thoughts on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Because look, I, without, you know, maybe naming names or anything like that, mm-hmm. I just want to say this because we see, we saw a trend even after when my grandfather left uh, politics in 91. Um, some of the other kids, families that sort of came in, the children had a lot of cases. You can read about it. It's, it's, it's in, in, in the public domain where there was, you know, harassment cases, you know, and the likes. So you find that it starts with, 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 for a leader to lead a country, really, you must be able to lead your home as well. Unfortunately, what we're seeing a lot of now in leadership is a case of, I need to grab as much as I can, forget about your country people, forget about the growth, you know, and um, people, there's a lot of, 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 of funds being being, um, you know, transferred for people's own greed and use. I speak about this very openly because it's quite unfortunate when you see leaders, you know, acting a certain way or progressing in life. And yet those, the people in their country are suffering, you know, and we know we've seen what happened to Zambia in the last couple of years. It, it's It's been horrible. It's been a nightmare. But um, we're really hoping and praying that now, of course, a lot under the, the leadership of HH, who also has a very strong principle, family person, by the way, as well. But you can see that in his leadership that, um, you know, Zambia is destined for, for, for bigger and greater things. Well, I totally would like to pick up on something and that the continuity um, from Kenneth Kawunda, your grandfather, to the current president and exactly as you've just made. But one of the things that Kenneth Kawunda was so insistent upon, and I remember this from my childhood, was, and again, sharing, was education. So I remember the introduction of um, of 
uh, all day schooling. So you would have one session in the morning and one session in the afternoon. And I see that um, that uh, HH has done following in KK's footsteps in a way and has reintroduced free school, free primary and secondary schooling, which is a phenomenal uh, event for Zambia. If I can just go back a little bit, I think a lot of times we need to come out of this thing of um, because my predecessor or rather I did not like my predecessor or did not uh, maybe agree with everything. They say, don't throw the bathwater, the baby out of the bathwater. Keep some of the good practices. And some of the things from the KK regime was that free education. But it's unfortunate that some of the leaders that did come after sort of wanted to erase everything that he had done, everything that he had built for their own reasons. But I thank, I'm so grateful to for HH because he has gone back, maybe taken a stop. Okay, maybe this won't work. This can work and has come brought back the, the aspect of the free education. So with that, saying that, it's my hope that, you know, even leaders after, even just for us as, I still call myself a youth, <laughs> we can pick from some of, from, from teachings of the older people, you know, and then pick it. I mean, this is why we, we have eminent panels, for example, that we consult with. You know, because they've got the knowledge, they've got the skills. They may have made their mistakes as well, but it's important to learn from both ways, from their experiences and what they can teach as well. I like that, um, that your youth, I call myself a youth too, but middle youth, middle youth. I think you can be in youth in Africa till at least post 35, or possibly even Absolutely. 45. I love it. <laughs> I know I know you were with your grandfather, as you say, from the age of two months. So, you know, and you're still a young young lady. We've established your youth. But, you know, the the position that Zambia occupied is really a nexus of all the liberation movements um, in Southern Africa, giving refuge to so many of those liberation movements. I mean, that must have been extraordinary to grow up in that environment. No, it really was. And I must say, you know, if you maybe I'll have some time and just put a few pictures mm -hmm. together of, yeah. you know, when you're growing up, you you're, you know, in this kind of environment. You don't really realize it, but you know, mm -hmm. I got to meet uh, the likes of the late um, Saddam Hussein, Gaddafi, um, Mandela. In fact, the first stop when Mandela was released was Zambia. You know, the, the likes of the popes. You know, there are people Joshua and Como, for example. Because my grandparents, I was always with my grandparents. They always called me their little handbag. And you know, when you're young, you don't really, you don't see what. This, to me, he was just my grandfather. These were his friends visiting, but not knowing the impact of, you know, for some it was refuge. Zambia was refuge for them. Yeah. That, you know, yes. our, and, and, you know, many times he'd say the sacrifice he made, for example, um, of the family is exposing us to, actually to what was a danger because most of the people did come and stay at State House. And, you know, it, we, we, there were times where there was even bomb scares, for example. So the family is there. But for my grandfather, the bigger picture for him was the freedom of all, not just us being comfortable knowing that your brother out there is not free. But um, it, it's very humbling now that I'm older and sitting down and actually reflecting on this. And, it, you know, I can just share when he passed so many more things came out that we, you know, the impact he had, 
not just for Africa, but for the world generally, the pictures that were shared, the stories that came, the people that came to the house, you know, mm. it was just really humbling. And for that, you know, I think just going back very quickly to, for example, 1991, for many years, of course, he held on. And, you know, I often say, you know, surround yourself with people who will be very open and honest with you. Because sometimes in politics that your your advisors will, will have their own, you know, they have their own intentions. They've got their, they also have their own um uh, how can I say, their own needs, for example. So they won't really look at the people's needs. So they want to keep somebody in power. And this is some of the things that he said was that when I think I spoke about this at Tana Farm, that I wish I'd let go earlier. The issue of succession, training others to mm -hmm. be able to hand over, you know. Um, but for me, another key lesson I learned from him was the ability to let go in 91. He was president. And the joke we had is that Mugabe called me and says, how do you lose an election in your own country as president, you know? But for him, he, he listened to what the people said, despite the fact that advisors had told him, no, these are not the true uh, voices of people. So it, it is humbling. Like I said, you know, earlier, the people that we met, the, the people that came through, but also just his own, him as a person. And that's my recollection too, you know, Zambia was at the heart of lots of the other liberation uh, struggles. Um, Zambia was home to SWAPO, to the African National Congress, um, and indeed to Joshua and Como, putting, uh, putting indeed yourselves at quite a great deal of threat, because I, I know there was an attack next door to State House, wasn't there, which I remember very well. And I remember um, my, in fact, um, being told to get under the beds because they were shooting outside. So that must have been quite terrifying for you. But, but, that, but he was steadfast. Um, Kenneth Kawanda was steadfast in giving refuge despite air attacks, uh, bomb attacks, actual threats um, to, uh, to the stability of, of Zambia. Uh, and he was on the right side of history, it seems. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that is one thing. Uh, I just want to say something as well. And, you know, sometimes we we tend to forget this. And I think maybe I may have mentioned a little bit in the Tana Forum was behind every man is a very strong woman. Mm. And for him to be who he was at that, even just um, him being able to bring in, like you said, the, the, the people who, who sought refuge, he had to have a wife who too, believed in the same ideologies as he, as he did. And that was my grandmother. Because for, for that to happen, I mean, imagine, you know, somebody saying, no, I'm bringing in these guys and this rich the children. Should have been, no, forget it. But she was like, no, she understood that. And that was very, it's very, very important to bring that up because even just to go back a little bit into history, when they were fighting for, you know, liberation, it's the women, you know, it's the wives that actually kept the home going. Can we talk a bit more about um, Kenneth Kaunda, the man? Because, I mean, you've, you've referenced the relationship with your grandmother and, and I think you, you explained he used to sing to her every, every yeah. day. Yeah, Pagan Moon, yeah. Yeah, he did. From the time he met her um, and, you know, he, he was a gentleman, you know, well-dressed, well-spoken, mm -hmm. but he, had, he wore his, his heart on his sleeve and... That was him. 
And I think if you are to meet my, in our home, there's no uncles and, and aunts, there's fathers and mothers. Mm-hmm. If you are to meet the men, my fathers in, in our home, they all carry themselves in that way, where it is believed as a man, you're supposed to look after your, your, your home, your, your children, you know, but look after your wife. If mm-hmm. the wife's happy, you know, then everything yeah. flows. But he sang to her. And I think the last time he sang was actually when he came from, because when my grandmother passed away in Zimbabwe, he was in, in, in Durban receiving the Mahatma Gandhi Award for Peace. And um, that's when my aunt was with him and that's when the, the news was shared. So when he arrived in Zimbabwe, because that's where she passed away, he stood by the coffin and sang. This this was him. Did not take nonsense, I must say. And I think if you listen to some of his speeches, sometimes he'd always use a certain word. And when he was very angry, but he expressed himself. He would show his 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 displeasure. And he also, he cried a lot. Yes. That's and this is something we're not seeing with men anymore. And that's why we see a lot of issues of mental health, for example, because men are not expressing themselves. But my granddad cried and he cried freely. So, you know, a lot of people always thought, oh, no, he was some kind of um, spirit being, you know, sort of. But he was just a man like anybody else. Just blessed, you know, in 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 in, in the way he was. Yeah. And, and he was very, very much devastated when he uh, declared um, and and left himself very vulnerable um, that yes. one of his sons had died of HIV AIDS at a time when, you know, no other African leader was doing that. You know, pe- no. people talk about Nelson no. Mandela, but that was many years later. I mean, yeah. that, that really seared into his heart. Yes. Um, you know, even just as a family, you know, usually in African culture, we tend to hide you know, everything from mental health, like you're saying, to HIV. And I do recall that some members of the family were like, no, it shouldn't be disclosed. But he says, no, how do I speak about, you know, my country HIV and not disclose that my child, you know, has it? And my child, of course, he eventually passed away and he spoke about it. Um, it caused him a lot of pain. It, it did because nobody wants a child to go through that. But more so, you're the head of state. He could have covered it up, and you know, and all that. He could have flown him out of the country. He didn't. Um, my granddad, my uncle, was in um, UTH from the time he was admitted to the time he passed away. So my grandfather was very, very, very transparent. You know, he spoke about transparency, and like I said, I'm really proud to say that he, what he, what he spoke, he also lived. So, yeah, it was, it was, I do recall, it was a difficult, very difficult time for both of them. And, you know, um, for him, I, I, I do know he'll say people are calling and say, why did I? But look, look at what it's brought about. A lot of people came out after that, you know, foundations were, were born. People really accepted it and it stopped being so much of a stigma. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm. And, and yeah. uh, when he was in his latter years um, and needed hospital treatment, he chose not to flee mm-hmm. the country and go to a fancy yeah. hospital in South Africa or, or Europe. He he insisted yeah. on remaining in Zambia. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. In fact, he would go to UTH, University Teaching Hospital, or the minor soccer one, which is the army one. But basically, yeah. And even when um, he got ill with the, with the pneumonia, he was rushed to hospital. And people were like, no, let's have him 
airlifted to South Africa. And even in that state, he said, what am I telling my people? What am I saying to my people if I flee? And I think from this, I think leaders now need to actually learn from this. And also just going back to COVID, they need to learn, look, how many were able to uh, fly out? Not many. You couldn't, you know. So let's improve on our health institutions, on our health systems. Because at the end of the day, we are all at one point, which is a point where we can't leave. You're absolutely right. The torch that was shone on uh, during COVID was that how much health tourism there is to South Africa, to London, to Dubai. And even as you were saying, sort of modestly income families collect together and 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 send their loved ones, you know, at fifteen to $20,000 a pop to Dubai to get basic treatment. So I, I think development of healthcare is hopefully going to be one of the consequences or the benefits of if there are any silver linings to COVID and the disruption, one hopes that um, that, that that is heard. I wanted to ask you, I mean, you, you've talked about um, HH, Haki and Hichilema, um, in, in Zambia, but are there other leaders that you see across the continent who give you some hope, some sense that they embody some of the um, some of the principles, some of the values that your your grandfather held? Are you are you an optimist? Or where do you align yourself? <laughs> <laughs> no, I am an optimist. I re- I am. I am. Um, to be honest, look, I can't think of anybody um, off head, uh, but I'll speak about HH. I'm happy that I did have an interaction with him when he came to Nairobi. Uh, first of all, we were the communists. So there's the Association of Zambians living in 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 Kenya. Uh, so I'm the social secretary for that, and we had <laughs> requested a meeting. So look, we actually gave up because we thought we'd, the community would meet him, but he came. The humility of the man. He came, and his people were like, no, you can't stay. You probably we can only have him for five or ten minutes. He was with the community for two hours. And during that time, he took time to listen, to address. He was not just talking at, he was talking to. He listened to what we had to say. And he has said, I am your chief marketing officer. You are the marketing officers. So let's build, let's build Zambia, you know. And I, from, from just interacting with him and just, you can see from his value system, it's very similar. There's some, some things that remind me of my, my grandfather and also just maybe those are the spiritual aspects of, of, of him. But also the, he, in the last couple of, 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 of months of being in power, what he has said he, has, he will do, he has done. We know there's a lot. I, I believe that Zambian currency currently is trading. Um, it's, it's way up there. So this is, this is it. So for me, um, we're not here just to be bystanders. And he has opened that door up to Zambians to say, let's do this together. Um, you know, one Zambia, one nation, one people. And I think that if I can recall the 58th um, uh, slogan for you know, um, independence was sustainability, inclusiveness, you know, into development, because it's about everybody. And even being in the diaspora, there's all these initiatives that have come up. Build Zambia whilst there, you know. There's, there's all these forums, and this is coming from HS administration, very hands-on, you know, um, well-able well, well um, able people, 
you know, and um, it's very, very impressive. And I, I see Zambia, especially if we carry on on this on this uh, trend, really uh, being a, a, a country to look out for. And I really hope that countries around can also emulate this. But and but I think also for Zambians, just to support the leadership. Isn't he currently head of the SADC organizations? And so obviously he's got some very difficult things on his plate coming up. For example, the Zimbabwe's elections. And and Zambia and Zimbabwe, as you and I know, their fortunes are always intertwined. And um, and I wonder if, um, you know, one hopes that some of the that will rub off on the certainly the elections that were so well um uh, such a success in zambia one hopes that that something similar might happen to reinforce democracy in zimbabwe it's the best one can hope for <laughs> no indeed and, and i think just even just the, after the concluded elections here because everybody kept referring to zambia everybody yes. kept referring to zambia everywhere you yeah. go they refer to zambia so i my prayer is that more reference on good policies and, you know, good things will be on Zambia. Yes, exactly. On the final light note, you did actually yeah. want to ask about the calendar suits, Tara. I yes, so, absolutely. Yes. The calendar, So, I, you know, the calendar suits have now, KK is now a brand, I understand. Yes. <laughs> Do you know, um, it's, it's amazing because... Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know the actually the company and, and I'm not advertising for them or anything. No, but, nor uh, I, but they're called yeah, Brothers yeah. Something. They're based in South Africa, and okay. they mm-hmm. yes, they actually reached out to me a few months ago and said, "Look, we can actually have one made for you." But this is this was him, and up to mm-hmm. the end, I see my father now wearing the same. I see younger people. Wearing the color. These are suit. yeah, and these so, are safari suits. Just describe it for us for, yes. for people who are, who haven't yes. seen them before. Just describe, right. Amanda, what 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 your grandfather's suit was and why it became so emblematic of right. of, of that part okay, of the world. So it, okay, so it's basically the safari suit, but um, very well tailored and locally. By the way, it was a local um, Asian family that that made them, but he had the there were the three quarter ones and the long sleeved ones. And he had the ones for the dinner, for for example, the dinner, the white and black mm-hmm. safari suits. Yes, the white and black ones. He had the casual ones, and um, and you'd have his cravats. Very smart yes. side, side. Yes, the side um, on some of them. He had the little hanky, but mainly it was the cravats. And he was very smart and always, you know, right chiseled. Um, <laughs> To, to suit him and fit him. But it's very humbling to see that this is a fashion that has carried on. There's a street here, actually, there's Kaunda Street, and they have a shop with, with the, the Kaunda, Kaunda suits here. Kaunda suits, fantastic. We'll have to pay a visit. I've actually seen them as wedding suits. I've been to a wedding back in Zambia where everybody, the, the bride and, uh, well, the grooms and the groomsmen all wore Kaunda suits. So quite... You know, fantastic, sartorial. So not, I was going to say, not just a political legacy, a sartorial legacy as well. No, but even fashion. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great way to be remembered. No, fantastic. Mandola Calendar, thank you so much for speaking to us. It's been thank an absolute you. pleasure talking to you. I am so humbled and thank you for having me. Looking forward to more engagements. It's been, it's been absolutely amazing. You've been listening to The Ark Insider. 
If you're interested, Art publishes in-depth risk briefings on 22 countries around the continent. You can subscribe to this at info at africariskconsulting.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please do let us know. You can use the same address and do feel free to share our podcast on social media and amongst friends. Our sound engineer was Ludwig Boer and this podcast is a Karen Allen International production. Bye for now.